Welcome to Cine Simplified, a podcast about all things cinema simplified. I'm Jason Tanliwa. And I'm Ryan Okizo. And we're going to be talking about everything film and television. From stuff you should watch. And stuff that you shouldn't watch. New gems in festivals. And on streaming platforms. Interviews with distinct voices in front of and behind the camera. In the hopes of proving that you don't need to be in film to talk about film. In this episode, our monthly movie haul simplified. How are you, Ryan? How are you doing? So, uh, once again, I'm gonna be seeing my girlfriend tomorrow. We're mm-hmm. gonna go on a date. We're gonna eat. Uh, this is because I'm gonna go to the US next month. So, oh, nah. uh, this is gonna be like my last date. Seeing her before I go there for six months. And then I come oh. back here. Uh, I'll How be here you- back for the festivals and everything like in the latter part of the year like i wouldn't miss uh, q cinema for the world so yeah that's basically <laughs> it uh, how about you guys i'm okay i'm i'm weirdly fine um i have a lot of major experiments coming up um kakatapos ng first yeah. laboratory updates namin i'm still locked in up so that's kind of sad but also kind of cool um yeah and I'm just happy na alert level one na I think right alert level one na right. I mean yeah, it's still alert level one as well for the mm-hmm. foreseeable days. Yeah. Let's hope it stays that way. Pero before anything else, pala, congratulations on becoming a contributor for Rappler. So, maraming yes. articles si Ryan that were published recently. Um, one on Wheel of, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, one on a film that we're going to be talking about today, actually. And then, what else did you write about recently? Uh, West Side Story. West Side um, Story. What else? Kingsman. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, so <laughs> yeah, I know. Actually. I haven't. Yeah. The, the sheer volume is actually very impressive. And then, yeah. um, last Night in Soho. So, oh, God. Yeah, go check those out if you want. You can just search my name and then wrap it. And then it will probably show up. But uh, one more thing as well to congratulate on. Uh, Jace mm-hmm. is the first Filipino critic of Fipres Key. Or the International Federation of Film Critics. So congratulations. This is like a huge thing. Like if you guys don't know, like the pressy decides on a lot of winners. Like I think in Khan, right? Like yeah. they're, they're there and like uh, loads of other festivals. So they're very prestigious. And I think because Jace is a member now, like he gets to have more press creds and able to go to more festivals. And I guess like have a lot more power as a film critic but i feel like um like even just like outside of all of that i feel like it's great that we finally have a filipino critic in fibraski so yeah congratulations jace thank you it's still so weird like random relatives like message me to like ask about ask about visas and all of that um which i yeah i was meant to I, i'm gonna ask you about visas for the u.s anyway mm. but that's not our topic for today our topic for today are movies like movies that we want to talk about that we watched in the last month whether they're good movies or bad movies we're gonna talk about it um but first and foremost ryan you've been back to the cinemas yes, na yeah, na hindi na alert level two, so hindi na siya fifty percent capacity. What is it like? Are people going? Uh, yeah, tell so, me more. So what's funny is I actually like set up a TikTok account for the first time. So I'm not really a TikTok person. Like I've barely like even 
use the app, even though I have it in my phone. I just have it for the stuff my friends share. So like, I'm not the type of person who like scrolls around, makes content, everything. But yeah. in the Turning Red screening, which was in Ayala Malls, Manila Bay, and the cinema, mm-hmm. um, I figured, you know, this would be some cool TikTok content. <laughs> So I recorded myself going to the red carpet event. So it was an early screening of Turning yeah. Red. Uh, I was invited uh, as part of a uh, Rappler. So I was going to write mm-hmm. a review on it. And so <laughs> I took a video of everything. It was, it was actually the first time I went to Ayala Malls Manila Bay Cinemas. I've been yeah. there before, but I haven't really, like, oh, I hear the knocks, Jason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So I ordered McDonald's. So Ryan wanted to hear that. So wait lang. Pero go Ryan, talk to our viewers. Okay. So Jace is getting McDonald's. I hope that it's still quite hot and you know he gets some really good fries and some really good burgers. But I'm just gonna keep stalling while he's out there getting his McDonald's. Um, basically, the experience in that training red screening was amazing. Um, there was food being served before we went to the cinemas, and there were lots of like um, picture takings because there were backgrounds with training red pictures and whatnot. And there was mm-hmm. also some merchandise. Hello, Jace. How is your mother? <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about this later? I think we're not sponsored by McDonald's, so yeah. Anyway, go. Uh, but but Makdo, if if you want, if you're listening, if you want to sponsor anyway, us, anyway, sorry, go. Um, so yeah, like picture takings. There were um like memorabilia being given to us. So like you could choose oh. between a headphone, a sticker, or I forgot what was the other one. But like, what did it you was, get? It was like a picture. I don't know, like a turning red something something. something turning red related. I got uh-huh. the headphones, of course. Like. What? Did you a get sticker. one for me? Did you get one for No. I, like, I thought it was I just one per you. person. I mean, like, okay, okay, Jace, there were but... children around there. I'm pretty sure they would have wanted the merchandise. Exactly. And that to a 20-year-old stealing and like, yeah. getting everything from them. Okay, but they're not going to get the headphones. So, okay. Yes, yes they are. A couple of people what? did. Okay, so let's just make a deal that like we'll get something for each other if possible. So no future screenings that we'll attend. But I'm not okay. even gonna go to a screening in the next six months unless I go to LA screenings. Well, you can. I mean, depend. But anyway, sorry. Go continue. Continue. But anyways, yeah. But like also, Jace, just to go back to that, the headphone has like cat ears and like the the kid thing. Would you really want that? Jace? I gave it to my brother. My, my little brother. Maybe. I wouldn't know. I wouldn't okay. know. Okay, fine. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Uh, watching in the cinemas is nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I've been to three cinema experiences since Alert Level 1. So the first one was for The Batman. And mm-hmm. I was kind of salty because it was like March 3 or March 2. I forgot. No, March 2. March 2, right? So March it was two. like the actual premiere of The Batman. And... It was the day after Alert Level 1. So I think cinemas weren't really ready yet for the changes because the guidelines, if you guys don't know, is that you're allowed to sit together again. Like, you're allowed to sit beside each other with your friends and your families and whatnot. And Uh you're also allowed to eat, like, inside, finally. Like, popcorn, fine dining, uh, drinks. Fine dining? Yeah, you can. Like, 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 it's literally in the DOH guideline. Like, fine dining and other foods 
can be allowed in cinemas now. And like, like steak? Uh, well, yeah, I, I, I eat steak in a cinema. Excuse me. I've eaten I, far worse in the cinema. Okay. But like, I sure. think the only, the only rule is that it shouldn't have sauce when you go to the cinemas. Why so, would you... Okay, anyway. There you go. Okay, so... Alright, so the Batman experience was... Okay, so we got to sit beside each other. Yeah. Uh, me and my friends. But we weren't allowed to eat popcorn inside, which is weird. But we were allowed to drink inside, right? So, like, weird, right? But mm. anyways, it was a great experience. It was, it was weird though because... Okay, this is going to go on a slight tangent rant about Eastwood Cinemas and their Cinema Seven because that oh, okay. particular cinema. Before anything else, okay. we would just I would just like to say in Ryan's views on Eastwood Cinema, <laughs> I do not necessarily share them. So Eastwood, if you would like to sponsor me, like that's completely fine. Okay, fine. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, but, go Ryan. Go. Okay, Eastwood. This is constructive criticism. <laughs> But basically, sure. in your cinema, I had to pay 600 pesos. Oh, that is seats. wild. Yeah. But if you look at the receipt of the tickets, 300 pesos is for the seat, right? In the cinema. And yeah. granted, it's a great deal, 300 pesos for those lazy boy seats with the USB chargers and the, the reclining chairs and everything, you know, that feels luxurious. But... 300 pesos for that is accompanied by the 300 pesos for food and drinks. So like the seat of a lazy boy is equivalent to a Pepsi, a water bottle, and not even a large popcorn. So like, uh, what? That's so unfair. So yeah. like they, they're just marking up like the prices because like, I guess it's a lazy boy seat. So like, fine, make it 450 and 150 so like it's clear to me that's the divide but the divide was 300 and 300 and there's no option to separate them so i couldn't just like pay 300 for the lazy boy seat and not take the other 300 for the food and drinks which i couldn't even drink and eat Uh during that time when it was already alert level one because he didn't fix the guidelines yet so that's just a minor tangent rant from my end. Wait, so hindi kayo pwedeng kumain sa loob ng cinemas? During I mean, that time. During pero that you did, pero did you get? We did. We got. Like, they, okay. they had they had popcorn. Like, when we left the cinema, they were like, okay, okay here's your free popcorn. It's like, okay, um, what am I gonna do with this? I just watched the movie. Anyways. True. Anyway, go. Uh, the second viewing experience was... Before like, anything else, how did you like... What what flavor of popcorn? You like uh, the butter lang siya? Or like cheese? I like cheese. Wait, I'm actually going to talk about that later on. Okay, I like great. Cheese. Okay, go. The second uh, film I watched in cinemas was I rewatched Spider-Man No Way Home. Legally. Mm-hmm. Wait, I'm not supposed to say that, right? I don't know, man. I don't know. Anyways, anyway. um, I watched Spider-Man No Way Home in cinemas for the first time. <laughs> um, With the knowledge, of course, of the spoilers, right? Like, <laughs> Let's just assume you've seen the movie already. But anyways, it was yeah. great. Um, I watched it in MOA and they actually renovated the cinemas. I'm not sure if you've seen movies in Mall of Asia before, but basically the cinemas before were quite big. Like there's a have, there's I a bunch seen. of seats, right? Do you remember there's a bunch of seats at the bottom and then there's a bunch of seats at the top? Yeah. So um before you didn't like need to reserve, it was just like first come. For served, like you get yeah. the best seats if you 
line up early and you get in early. So they've changed that system. And I realized that the cinemas are smaller now, but the seats, all of them are like better now, like objectively better. Like they're not lazy boy seats per se, but like they're very soft. They can incline to some extent. Wow, I'm just basically reviewing cinemas at this point. Yeah, you're, you, yeah, okay. (laughs) It feels like, it feels like a room. Like it's a big room, but like, okay, if you've seen a micro cinema like Cinema 76 and Cinema Centenario, cinema centenario. Oh. it's like that, but like times three, times four. And it isn't oh, wow. like in the same, it isn't obviously in the same like category as a big IMAX film theater, but like it's, I don't know, like I don't know how to describe it. It's just like it's small, but at the same time, it's not small. It feels mm-hmm. like a room. But the thing I hated about it was because the cinema is smaller, I think it was a ploy from for SM to have more cinemas in their malls. So mm-hmm. it's quite small. So this means that instead of one big cinema, I think they put two cinemas. Because before, <clears throat> I remember very vividly as a child when I watched films like Thor and um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. I remember as a that, child. Yeah, as, as, a, as a child. child, as a child <laughs> I remember those cinemas were quite big. But okay. I feel like the cinema's in MoA now. I feel like they put a divider in the middle of that cinema and they divided it into two cinemas instead, which I think is strategic for them because they get to screen more movies yeah. at the same time. But the downside of that was the walls are very thin. <laughs> and oh, so you hear? Hear. I was hearing oh. the audio from the other films, but like you don't hear it when there's a scene that's very noisy. Uh, but if you have a scene that's very quiet and the scene in the movie behind you, like you can clearly feel that the movie, the cinema behind you is playing. You can hear the audio. Like I was hearing like, like I I remember it was an emotional moment in somebody died in Spider-Man No Way Home. I won't spoil it, but you've probably seen it, but somebody (laughs) dies. And then like the moment is very quiet and you could hear like, anime noises of like swords clanking and whatnot because they were yeah. showing the new anime anime movie i forgot what was the name but yeah. yeah that's the only downside i think but other than that i think it was fine um also very surprising because lots of people are still watching no way home i thought it would be alone but there were no lots i think of, people yeah. yeah there were lots of like families like with children who were previously incapable of watching cinemas back then outside of alert level one who are now able to watch with them which i think is also the first time they're watching it unless they've seen it through illegal means or through tiktok but yeah i think it's nice because families get to go with their children now again so that experience is back and that option is back for families who want to watch with um yeah. little people <laughs> so little people speaking, anyway, of little, speaking of little people the last time experience was in ayala mall's manila bay and i have to say i really really like the animals middle bay cinemas and okay, most cool. of it is because the popcorn right the popcorn ayala mall i don't know what they did with the popcorn but the ayala mall's cheese the blazing cheddar popcorn oh that's good is that's good i th- i don't know i think they've changed like the recipe or something like i don't know if they've cha- changed like the flavor to be a bit more like like it's less saltier but at the same time there's more texture to it like when you eat it <laughs> it's now also a food yeah this is <laughs> a food podcast actually sorry <laughs> but, like, but like just i'm telling you like i am confident in saying 
that was perhaps the best popcorn I've ever tasted in my entire life. And okay. this is someone who really loves Tater's popcorn, and I'm a Tater's fanatic. Also, uh-huh. Tater's, if you want to sponsor us, but a Yellow Mall's movie house popcorn was amazing. And okay. um, it was nice eating popcorn again in the sense. So that was the first time I was able to eat popcorn again because I didn't get to in Eastwood. And for uh, Moa, I wasn't feeling up to eating popcorn because I was going to eat anyway. So I watched mm-hmm. No Way Home and Turning Red in the same day. So yeah, um, it was great. Like after that, <laughs> after the screening of Turning Red, um, I bought two popcorns on the way home <laughs> just so I could eat it when I watch films in uh, the confines of my room. But anyways, it was great. Uh, okay. I love the seats. Um, it was big. Like the Alamo's and the Basin cinemas are quite big yeah. and yeah there were lots of people there were lots of kids in that screening because again early screening lots of celebrities as well um Liza de Castro was there actually um Sansa turning red yeah in turning red I hate this <laughs> <laughs> but I, okay I would just like to prof- I would just like to professionally add that I I I am I am a great film critic and I I haven't yes, gone to these 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 Press but you will. Like in you're you're going to get a lot, like in the following. Months, yeah, but obviously. it doesn't feel. It, it does, I'm, I'm viewing everything online, which is great. I actually love viewing stuff online, but it's just like, like I want to. I want to see cool people. I don't want them to see me though. So like that's like, <laughs> yeah, it's a huge problem with being perceived. That's, that's, yeah, if anyone here is like riddled with anxiety and not Ryan, like. Oh my <laughs> god! You know what? I was thinking of something because. They, I think, like the organizers of the Turning Red screening, like they invited yeah. me to do like this AR thing in Instagram. So like they had a AR green, thing? yeah, they had a green screen uh. background, and then they had lighting, and then there was like a place where you could put your phone, and then like they invite you, they goad you into like doing this play thing, like you're gonna mm-hmm. play with your phone, and like you're gonna have to follow, like it's like an arcade game where like there's this moving dot. And you have to move your fingers, like okay. according it. But like while you're doing that, in front of you are the celebrities and the influencers who are eating. So they're looking at nobody else but you doing that, and like you looked incredibly stupid. I had fun, but like I would imagine like that would but be you're such young. a weird experience for for a lot of people. But you're young, like you can charge that to experience. If I do it, I'm gonna look like. A, a crazy person. Like, why is this 5'10, 5'11 man? You're 5'10? Bo- yeah. Did okay, you wow. We're actually the same height, pala. Wow, you're tall. You're 20 yeah. and you're 5'10? Or 5'11. I hate, I hate this world, everyone. <laughs> to everyone listening, this is wild. This is wild yes. to me. Anyway, okay. So, but uh, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad. You're, are you not going to the. The one that we emailed you about recently. Is that online or You're, is that physical? I hope physical, it's online though. Physical. It's physical. If it's oh, online, yeah. ako yung pupunta. Okay, okay. <laughs> But like, no, I'm telling you, it's not me. Because it's not. Yeah. I, anyway. hope, I don't know because I might not be allowed anymore. I'm not okay. sure. But anyways, let's see. Like, anyway, so yun, um, we you were just to segue somewhat roughly but also kind of perfectly so when you watched so obviously 
we're going to be talking about two different films today. Um, both of the films for each of us, like we haven't seen like at all. So I haven't seen Ryan's picks. Ryan hasn't seen my picks. Um, and we're basically, I guess, going to give you a spoiler-free <laughs> review of 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 these oh. films. Yeah. Um. But but yeah, uh, the first film actually, I I wanted to talk to you about Turning Red, if that's okay. Like the first the first film because obviously you watch that in the cinema and if for those of you who do not know i think it's available on streaming platforms it's available on hbo max question mark no it's not available on hbo max it's only available on disney plus disney plus yeah Yeah. so um so what was turning red like i know nothing about it i haven't seen the trailers of either batman or turning red but yeah um what is turning red about and what was it like viewing it in the cinema versus like viewing it streaming because obviously like to those of you who are also unfamiliar like i'm pretty sure that turning red doesn't hit a lot of cinemas because i think it's one of the pixar films that got um straight to vod i think in the u.s or something like that so Ayun, like can you talk to us about what was it what it was like watching it in the cinema and then watching it um at, at home or whatever yeah okay so like you i only saw the turning red trailer in the trailers before Spider-Man No Way Home on the same day that I was also going to watch Turning Red. Okay, cool. And I didn't know anything about it. So the basic conceit of the film is there's this Chinese-Canadian girl named May and she's a 13-year-old. She's incredibly nerdy. At the same time, has this huge obsession over an NSYNC-inspired boy band. She has to cater to her very tiger mom named Ming, voiced by okay. Sandra O, oh, the ever amazing Sandra O. Oh. I love her. She deserves better in everything. Anyway, yes. sorry, continue. And then while juggling, you know, being this pre prepubescent teenager or adolescent, whatever you want, um, yeah. she also finds out that she turns into a red panda. And Turning into a red panda is very much driven by her emotions. So if she keeps her emotions stable, she's not going to turn into a red panda. But if, you know, it goes all out, like teenagers do, (laughs) she turns into a red panda. So that's basically the whole uh, gist of the film. And I think the um, the main strength of it is just how unique and clever it is. Because... For one, it's clearly a warm and fuzzy analogy about a teenage girl going through puberty, but it's packaged in the story of a teenage girl wanting to either suppress her red panda or to figure out if that red panda actually is something that she wants to keep for the rest of her life. So it really is something about... um, your embarrassing moments in childhood and you figuring out if those things define you or if those things are something that you find, you know, like to be something that is cringe or like um, wince inducing, like all of us have had those experiences. And I think Turning Red does a great job of packaging it in a very concise and very like heartwarming way. So it's a metaphor for, like, just, let's just get it out there. It's a metaphor for periods 
and womanhood and feeling un- misunderstood by your parents. There's this angle of generational trauma, which Encanto also explored. Um, but yeah. it really isn't like Encanto or like a lot of other Pixar films. I think there's also a lot of similarities that people have made with Lady Bird. Yeah. Because again, it's the primary conflict in the film is between a daughter and a mother. And I feel like the comparisons are very warranted. I feel like it's it's the phase before Lady Bird. <laughs> and then after this film, you go to the Lady Bird phase. So it's directed by um, Domei Shi, who also directed the Oscar-winning animated short Bao. So she's the first oh. female and Asian director, like the sole female director to ever helm a Pixar film, which... Like I had to take a step back. Like we haven't actually take, like we haven't had an Asian centered Pixar film in so long. Like Disney Animation Studios have done it with Raya, um, mm. but like in terms of full length, we haven't had that for Pixar. So that's great. And yeah, basically, like it's a great, great metaphor. Like I think director she shared in the interview that there's something about the color um, of red because it represents again your period. It also represents being angry, being embarrassed, or being lustful for someone. So aside from the film just boldly proclaiming that, yes, we can talk about puberty, we can talk about periods, it also talks about very real adolescent emotions that are rarely shown on film. And it portrays them as something that are incredibly like valid feelings to have. Like You can feel horny for someone you can feel lustful for someone at this age like you don't need to suppress that you don't need to like censor that from films like you can be someone who like just wants to go to a concert so badly and that can be like incredibly life-altering for you if you don't get to go to that concert right like these are like very like minuscule things in the grand scheme of things like especially when you're related to real life but the film treats it as if these are inherently huge, inciting incidents and inciting conflicts for a 13-year-old girl. Like, this is important for them at this specific moment of time. And we shouldn't, like, shun it. And, like, we shouldn't, like, um, suppress it the same way that Ming's mother does, right? So, mm-hmm. and it could have been a great film just for that. But they also explore Ming, the mother, and why she also has, like, these tendencies to be a tiger mom, like, and it, it also like bleeds into the metaphor of obviously because your daughter turns into a red panda. But it, slight spoiler, but like Ming also has her own like troubles with her own mother as well. So like there's this huge like generational angle that also plays into why um, people are the way they are in this film, which I think is really nice. But also just to tackle on the whole it isn't showing in cinemas. Um, that was a huge issue for Pixar employees, especially because um, Soul. Um, what was the other Pixar films? Soul lang, ba? Soul and then Encanto, right? Um, and then like Raya. So like these films released in streaming, and they were expecting. Okay, it's twenty twenty two. We've done some theater releases already. Yeah. We should probably release Turning Red in the cinemas because this would be the return of a family 
uh, film to theaters, right? Like, I think part of it as well was that they were scared that, like, the trend now is animated films, ah, straight to streaming platforms. I think part of it was, like, Trolls World Tour made such a huge buck because they released in digital and VOD. And, like, it was one of, like, the highest earning VOD uh, releases ever or something like that. And also... Yeah, that was also, like, early on in the pandemic. Yeah, that was early on in the pandemic. So, yeah. so people... Yeah needed something for their yeah. kids to watch. Anyway, continue, mm-hmm. sorry. And then Encanto as well. Um, apparently, it didn't do well in the box office, like even if it did release in streaming. Yeah. Um, so I feel like they were scared because of that. And, you know, Omicron was also raging at the time. So like when they had to make a decision on whether or not Turning Red was to be released in cinemas, um, the Omicron virus is like, incredibly rampant so i feel mm. like they had to make a decision immediately because they weren't sure what it would look like by march so yeah. very complex thing but like either way um unfortunately had to go to the seat plus and for us and other territories that was the case but for the philippines and i feel like other asian countries as well who yeah. are in very loose restrictions right now uh turning red is in cinemas you can go to a cinema right now, like to your local Ayala Malls or SM or even Cinema 76, like they're showing Turning Red. And I feel like um, it was quite unfortunate that it didn't release in cinemas in the US and Canada especially, because I was reading some articles from Entertainment Weekly and from Variety and like they really like, I feel like there were lots of commentaries about how the Asian culture and like basically forefronting the idea of being an Asian immigrant in the West, which is what May is, basically just an adolescent Asian immigrant. Um, I feel like that was a much-needed story to be told in the U.S. right now, especially with the rise of anti-Asian hate crimes and the senseless beating of Asian women, like even more recently right now in New York. And Yeah, that was a big deal. Anyway, continue. And honestly, like seeing that in the cinemas resonated with me as someone whose family is about to immigrate to the U.S. and me just being anxious if the place will be kind to them, let alone my little brother who's like 10 years old and just about to enter puberty. And he's gonna like experience all of that while being in a place that's quite foreign to him. So it's why I think it's such a shame the film flew straight to Disney Plus because I read some like reactions as well that like, Chinese, the Chinese Canadian crowd, or like even just the AAPI, the Asian American and Pacific Islander crowd, would probably go nuts watching this film. Like they cheer and cry with the audience. I mean, like, I feel like that would have been such a morale boost, especially for those diasporas and those communities. And like, honestly, like it's it's a great experience to see in the theaters because like I cried ugly tears in a room of children half my age at the Ayala Malls Manila Bay Cinemas. So like. Yeah, like I honestly feel that like if you do have the opportunity to see this with your children and you feel that your area right now is like safe from COVID, like go. Like this is a fun like bonding experience with your family and with your children, with your little siblings. Like I think it's just great. So, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you were so you're talking about like obviously for those of you who don't know of there, there's this huge like, there's this huge contention. Obviously, who are saying that, Disney and whatnot are 
if you notice like the pattern of the stories that they've been putting straight to VOD and that they haven't been putting into theaters, they're you know, they're Soul, they're Raya and the Last Dragon, they're um this, you know, um uh, uh turning red. So those are all um stories from I guess minorities, marginalized communities, quote unquote, and like all of these bigger um stories about white people also get, get put into cinema so like there there are plenty of articles on this i think there there are thought pieces on this in stuff like inverse um so i i really suggest everyone to read up on that um they make very good points just because like in terms of like what how the idea of what is the audience that we're releasing this to and like um the what kind of stories will the that audience respond to um uh, that's constantly a moving target and we're seeing the man that you know there there is an audience for this in terms of the theatrical release and yeah it, it's just weird you know like th- those 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 choices and over over the past few weeks obviously um disney has been under fire for a lot of things um but i guess we won't talk about that right now uh, yeah, yeah um yeah, but I'm I'm excited to I'm excited to watch Turning Red just because you and a bunch of other people that I really trust um really love the film. Like apparently really love the film. Oh yeah, um, by the way, like yesterday I just had my fourth rewatch of the film. Oh my gosh. Was it yesterday or a few days ago? But yeah, a few yeah. days ago. I've I've seen it four times already and it still holds up really well. How long is it? An hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes. Okay, that's super doable. I can literally watch that after this. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. Please tell me if you cry, because like in no, each I, watch I've I've cried. I like, can't I can't wa- I can't rewatch. I can't rewatch. I can't watch stuff that yeah, it was a lots of long story. Anyway. Um okay. sh- should you go with your pick or should no, I go? You go or? with your pick. Okay. So in line with I guess. The, the taboo aspect of stuff my, my pick that i watched recently um that i really love that i think people should check out um is bad luck banging or loony porn that sounds like an insane title because the film is also quite wild um it's a film by rada, rada jude um it's a romanian film um that won the golden bear um at the, uh, in 2021 so the golden bear is I think the highest award at the Berlin International Film Festival. Um, uh, this is the third Romanian film in nine years to win the Golden Bear. So um, it's a very, very interesting film. So from the title itself, like um, there's a lot of sex in this film, which is it starts actually with, I think, a 10 or a 15 minute um, on simulated sex scene. This like is such a huge shift from a child's movie. To yeah, I was like, <laughs> yeah, but like, we're th- no, you were talking about coming page. This kind of is, um, better. Uh, yeah, um, it's wild. Like, it's honestly wild. It was selected as the Romanian entry for the best international feature film category at the ninety fourth Academy Awards. Unfortunately, it was not um, shortlisted or eventually chosen to be. Um, yeah, it, it, it was not honored with a nomination or whatever. Um, it follows um, Emmy Silibiu, um, Silibiu, I think, um, who is a history teacher at the Romanian secondary school. And basically that first 10, 15 minute uncensored, unsimulated sex scene um, 
uh, was a sex tape that eventually is released online, and she has to deal with the repercussions of that, right? Um, so um, the film is kind of absurd. It, the first, it's divided into, I think, three major um, parts. The first is her walking around um, her walking around uh, Romania, I think Romania, um, trying to get to the school, essentially. Um, and it's just a bunch of shots of her walking around. And then, um, also, sorry, it's divided into four parts because it's a sex scene that the, the, the part that I'm talking about right now. And essentially, like, she encounters, like, a, a lot of, weird people having discussions it's set during the pandemic so um they're arguing about masks and they're arguing about romanian society and all of these weird um billboards around romania like showing um how um advertisements use like sex to sell and all of that and then the second part in the middle i the third part in the middle um is sort of like a photo essay um that is like dictionary definitions of what the people in the last part will be talking about. And all of those dictionary definitions kind of point out some aspect of Romanian society or society as a whole that's really um, that's really contradictory. Um, uh, I, I forgot the proper term for it. Uh, hypocritical. Yeah, hypocritical. Yeah, hypocritical. Um, and then... The third part is like the session wherein she's in at a parent teacher conference, um, trying to defend herself, um, that she's a good teacher and that she shouldn't be fired over a sex tape. And it's really, really funny. It's really infuriating. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the film. A lot of people don't like it. Um, but I think that it's a great critique of, um, why of people who kind of blame other people for, uh, I guess, the wrongdoings of someone within their family or whatever. Um, I think it's a great criticism of not only Romanian society, but also our own hypocrisies as a society, our weird relationship with sex, with puberty, with um, coming of age as well. And yeah, it's it, and also the weird relationship of the institutions that are meant to support, um, you know, uh, people. Yeah, so yun, um, it's really fascinating as a film. I think it's it's pretty short. I think it no no it's not. It's uh one hundred six minutes. So that's an hour forty six minutes forty five minutes. Ayun, um, it's a great film. I think it made me want to watch more Romanian films, in all honesty. Yeah, yeah. Um, my favorite part was the dictionary definition uh, definition section um, because it was just so educational, but also really sarcastic, really funny. It really sets, it really introduces like the many different tones that the director kind of is able to pull off. And this is a comedy. So this Radajud is a, director and screenwriter who kind of uses comedy as a way to introduce social political critique but in a way that is simultaneously unafraid to be offensive but at the same time 
too intelligent to be offensive. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, I love the film. I that's that's you can watch the film. Oh, this is another cool thing. So you can watch the film on Hulu as a censored version. So the first the oh, many of the, the parts. Yeah, but the uncensored one is on iTunes. But then the uh, censored version on Hulu, it's literally a completely different film. So, so really, yeah. So I mean, it's not so completely different, but there are there are para PowerPoint slides written. Uh, it's like censorship equals money. We're censoring this part. So yeah, so it's really <laughs> funny. It's really funny. <laughs> So yeah, I I really recommend. I haven't seen the censored version. I've only seen like clips of it. Um, yeah, but I really suggest people try it, try it out, and actually watch the watch Radajud's other films. It made me kind of want to watch his films in the in the in the future and all of his previous films. Yeah, so weird, you know, Radajud. Right. Yeah. I'm excited to see this film. Actually, you've convinced me to watch this film after this instead of Deep Water, the latest Ben Affleck. No, watch that. Film. Watch Why? that. Why not? Because Deep Water. It's Deep Water. Fine. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to watch it, but I, the, writing is hard, Ryan. Writing yeah. is really hard. But writing uh, is hard. Not, not for you. You write fast. I, I don't. I like. I write so slow. But uh, Deep Water. Deep Water. Just. Maybe we'll touch on this as well. But like Deep Water is so fascinating because have you seen it? Huh? No, but I mean the whole lore around it, like okay, Ben Affleck and Ana de Armas together, and then now they have to do a press tour when he just left <laughs> her for J Lo. <laughs> amazing! And this was this is one of the Ana de Armas projects that had a indefinite release, right? Yeah, and that. People really wanted to watch because you know um, Ben Affleck and Adam was, was like a huge thing during the yeah. pandemic. And also a Hulu film. Wait, was this yeah. the film that made them like get it off? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But the point is that after this, after filming this or whatever, parang yung mga Adam projects kind of naging wonky, like the Marilyn Monroe project. I don't. I don't know what's happening yeah, with that. True. Among other things, so like, and even her like, even her no time to die like screen time was so little compared to. But I I loved her in like in, yeah, even in the little stuff. I think she was yeah, the best part of that film. <laughs> exactly, but then you know people people build her as the Bond girl, and then she didn't appear as much. So you know the the whole lore around it is so fascinating, like that the celebrity culture aspect of it, and maybe. Just to segue into what we're going to be talking about, another celebrity pairing that has been kind of taking the online Twitter whatever by storm, taking after the Oscar Isaac school of Jeez. being hot, um, <laughs> is Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz, who are the Batman and Catwoman. Um, how was the Batman for you? Um, th- who directed this film again? Matt Reeves. Matt Reeves. How, Same guy how, who did Cloverfield, the Apes trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. What did, did you think? Right? Um, I, I, Matt, I, I'm a fan. He did, of, right? I'm. I will double check, but I'm a fan of the Planet of the Apes films. I genuinely believe that that trilogy is probably one of the 
2010 sci-fi like masterpieces just because of the kind of ideas it introduced but yeah, yeah um i guess i wanted to ask how how is the batman and how does it fare in terms of okay. the batman canon does that make sense yeah because there there are two superheroes that i obsess over so the first one is spider-man of course he's my favorite superhero of all time but The second one, and not so far behind, is Batman. Mm-hmm. So, this film is about a Batman in his second year. So it's Rob Bat Pattinson. He's unstable, erratic, very ragged, and uh, is very, very, you know, hot <laughs> as a Batman and Bruce Wayne. So that's a given because he's Robert Pattinson. But I think it also works in this film because this Batman is inexperienced and he doesn't know. What the hell he's doing? So he's going against the Riddler in this film, and the Riddler, played by Paul Dano, he was great. Like, like if you get Paul Dano and you make him into a villain, he's obviously going to be great. He's so, always weird, you know. Like, there's yeah. this kind of essential thing in when he plays roles in, um, like in like heavy genre films. He always has to, for some reason, get beat up. <laughs> Okay. Like he does not like, get beat up in this film. But, yeah, but you know what I mean, right? Like yeah. he looks like people. He looks will punch like him. he's the type. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the um, punch. Yeah, uh, an example of this is I think there will be blood, right? Prisoners. Um, yeah, prisoners as well. So anyway, continue. So this Riddler is inspired by the Zodiac killer, like even down to his suit, his killing sprees, and his like very weird. Uh, cryptic messages for the Batman, and there's also the Penguin, with Colin Farrell in near indistinguishable fat suit makeup. And do note, this guy also did After Yang, so I think he's starting off 2022 with a uh, bang. We should have talked about After Yang. I know I'm we can talk about it later. Watch it soon. I'm gonna watch it soon. You I haven't, haven't seen, seen it? it. I haven't seen it because I'm busy as well with school and. Writing. I mean, I mean, anyway. save the man. Better go, go, go. <laughs> okay. When I watch it, we're gonna talk about it. But anyways, Zoe Kravitz is Catwoman. She's the best Catwoman. Like I can like confidently say that she's very grounded. Okay, wait less... a minute. Wait Michelle a minute. Pfeiffer is great, but but Zoe Kravitz is better. <laughs> Look. Okay. Michelle Pfeiffer okay. was was like a Tim Burton caricature, but like okay in a vacuum, she's great, right? Michelle Pfeiffer is obviously great, but like that's a Burton thing. But this is like a Catwoman thing, like Catwoman okay. from the comics, because like Burton has never read a comic in his entire life when he was like making the Batman. So this one is actually like Catwoman. So I can confidently say she's the best Catwoman. But in terms yeah. of like I- iconic stuff, like there is a Catwoman that exists outside of Batman lore that Michelle Pfeiffer did, and she did a great job. Okay, so fine. I'll, clear. I'll I'll let you talk, and then when I see the Batman, I will either agree or disagree. Better go, go, go. She's go, great, go. but anyways, she plans well with like the griminess of Gotham, and like there are very some dramatic reveals about her backstory that, like, makes it makes it so that like she has a good internal conflict. That also bleeds into Batman's own like internal conflict with his like moral code and whatnot. So I like that, you know, interaction between the two of them. Um, 
Jeffrey Wright is Commissioner Gordon and Andy Serkis is Alfred. Like, they're fine. Nothing special, to be honest. Andy has a great scene with Bruce. That's it. Gordon has great rapport with Batman, as expected. So with a film like this, uh, which is like, what, the fourth or sixth iteration of the Cape Crusader, there can be a real risk of being derivative. But I'm glad to say it isn't. There's a lot of brilliant things about it. Um, I don't think it's better than The Dark Knight, which I think is still the quintessential Batman film. And I love it for so many reasons. But I think either way, like this film is good, even if you don't compare it with The Dark Knight. But if I am to compare it, I think The Dark Knight is still good. I think The Batman is maybe the second best Batman film. Like, I think I can say that. Yeah, second best Batman film, third best, I don't know. But right now, I'm second best Batman film. So the reason why I love it is a couple of things. So the first one is it's the most like visually arresting Batman film to date, that it feels like it's a movie. Like, it isn't like a CGI fest. So uh, I was researching on it, and like the look of Batman was done through a bleach bypass. I don't know if you know that, but like it's this chemical process where like, you increase the contrast and the graininess of like your film stock by leaving elements of silver in the film, which I think is like uh, a concept or like a technique that was used for films like Seven, Memento, Nightcrawler, which are also films that these that you know this particular Batman film takes inspiration from, and it makes those are, the film mm-hmm. those are considered neo-noir yes, like yes um temples right yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sorry go continue so like basically they applied the chemical bleach bypass to the film negatives but in digital so because of that the film looks very dark grainy and like very moody and atmospheric and i think it added a lot to the film's texture because like again if you compare this to a film like spider-man no way home which looks very bland and like very, I don't know, like feels so unatmospheric because it's just the action and like the set pieces and like those are the things of importance. And while the story is great, which I think can make up for a lot of, you know, the faults of the visual blandness, I feel like the Batman at the very least does a conscious effort of ensuring that like, the texture and the look and the atmosphere of the film feels like you're reading a comic book and you're seeing the Batman in all of his glory, but like you see of him less as a superhero and more of a neo-noir protagonist, right? Like I feel like the film's visuals do a lot of justice to that. Um, The next thing is Batinson is great. I think I can also say that he's my favorite Batman. I'm not sure if I can say he's the best Batman. Over he's Bale? Yeah. Over, over... Yeah. yeah. Who was it? Besa, there were there were a bunch Affleck, of very good ones. Keaton, Kilmer... Over Keaton? Yeah, I think he's great. Okay. Um, here's the reason why. <laughs> Disappointing. Anyway, go, go, go. Here's the reason why. It's because they add a narration. <laughs> like, that's one. They add a narration. But two... He is more interesting as the Batman. And part of it is because they rarely give any screen time to Bruce Wayne. Because I think Bale is great as a Bruce Wayne. 
Keaton is great as a Batman. Ben Affleck is just, I don't know. I don't know what to, like, I don't know. I, I feel like I can't even, like, make, like, this judgment on him when he hasn't had, like, his own solo film. And he's always, like, just a victim to crossover events and whatnot. But I think Ben Affleck was okay. But this Batman, man, Robert Pattinson, like, his Batman feels so unique because for the longest time we've always seen that if he's in he's in his batman like um costume right like he feels infallible he feels like he is meticulous like he has great attention to detail but this batman is more declaratory and brash like he wants his prey to know that he's coming with his loud boots and his blaring turbine jet engines. Like, he wants that when his criminals look at empty shadows, he wants to strike fear because he might be there. Like, that's this kind of Batman. And it would have been great if that was the Batman all throughout. But I think Pattinson adds a really great, like, uh, death to this Batman because he learns. Like, he learns that maybe being this figure that uh, always just strikes fear to people is like not smart and can lead to conse- unintended consequences that are related to the Riddler, which I don't want to spoil because it's a, I think it's a great reveal like down the line in the film. But he also learns to not be those things. He learns to not be the typical Batman stuff that we've like come to expect is what's badass about him. Like, he learns and he eventually comes to a point where he reaches a realization and epiphany where we see him, like, actually save people. We see him be a symbol of hope. And that's why I think, like, he's my favorite Batman. And the narration does a really great job of, like, articulating that because we get to know his thoughts. Like, I don't get why we never got that, like, in other Batman films because, one, it makes him feel more like a noir protagonist. But, two, it shows how he deeply feels like he's an unhinged person like he needs therapy he needs like he needs to be psychologically treated because like what you're doing right now dressing up as a bat and fighting criminals at night is like incredibly like horrid for you as a person who just got your parents murdered as a kid so like we don't get that like in previous batman incarnations which is why i felt more connected to this batman so yeah that's basically it. And like other things as well. Um, I feel like the Giacchino score foregoes like the the Elfman and Burton like macabre elements and like the the Zimmer score, like the gritty tones is like not there. But like Giacchino score, which he also scored like the Spider-Man score and like other Star Wars stuff, like he is great in like just showing this Batman's like fragile and like volatile personality like like have you heard like the music like the dun, 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 and like it just keeps going louder and louder like the like, new batman yeah, music? yeah i haven't i haven't when you hear it like at the start of this film like it's it's going to give you like goosebumps because it feels like batman is like this larger than life like mythological figure because of the score and like I really liked it. Like, yeah, guys, like the technical side, music, sound, editing, like 
those are very important in your film and they should definitely be awarded and be given screen time in your award ceremonies because they can really elevate the film. So yeah, um, this is great for the Batman. Actually, what you were saying about narration, like that's a sort of a technical like hall, not a hallmark or like an identifier, but yeah, like a lot of noir films, yeah, exactly. like yeah, have that. They have you know, it's the it's the moody lighting, it's the use of the shadows. Um, for what I've been hearing about the Batman is that it really kind of sinks its teeth again into those recognizable neo-noir elements. So if you want to, for, for our readers, like if you want to read like about noir, um, I really recommend Angelica Jade Bastian's um, essays on the vulture. Uh, there's one which is an in modern noir has atrophied. That's a great essay talking about like what makes noir an interesting genre beyond just those technical elements that that i guess we can find in the batman but like how it is also kind of um an exploration of disillusionment of power dynamics of queering like what is or, or queering or questioning like what is it about modern society that is um kind of ruining us you know and the reasons behind that um and also another essay, which is on like the best neo-noirs of the modern age. Like she also wrote a piece about that. And in in each of those, she kind of paints because noirs, noir and neo-noir are super like in terms of the stuff that they tackle, it's super kind of general, right? Um violence. Um, although that is a hallmark of it as well. Um, but but yeah, you can kind of see what neo-noir films are and are kind of cool so like a lot of david lynch films are actually cool noir films as well um yeah yeah so yeah maybe just some reading if ever uh you want to read more about that um do i move on to my 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 last yeah go ahead My last pick, and then we have another film that we're going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about this as much because I don't want to give more time for this film to ruin my life. Um, this film is the 2019 um, Netflix film called Tall Girl, um, which is about a girl who is tall. That is it. Very, very articulate characterization. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I'm, I'm a film critic, so... I think that it's justified. That... <laughs> anyway, um, no, so this is about Jody, who is like a 16-year-old um, high school student, and she feels like she's not, she, she's too ugly or be, or whatever, or that she doesn't belong because she's tall, and that they kind of regularly joke about her height um, versus her uh, uh, older sister, who is, of average height and is a beauty pageant winner and then her parents continuously kind of try to not make her being tall a big deal but also do make being tall like a huge deal um yeah and it's just and then it's there's an exchange student that she starts to like and it's it's weird this is a horrible film and this just goes to show by the way that this is a film that was recently uh, that recently really re- received a sequel. So there's a Tall Girl 2 in 2022. I haven't seen it yet. 
Um, I'm planning to watch it with my friends um, over the weekend. Uh, it is Toggle is terrible. It's just proof that terrible films can still be made. There are a lot of them. People like funding it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I get I get why you would make a film about, you know, the the troubles of being tall because I know a lot of people also get bullied for being tall. But I just think that like narratively, it's just so scattered. I think that there are parallels to this about um, there there are things that. Um, like there are points where she compares like tallness to the race and it's just <laughs> like you know or or like some form of disability and it's just it's just wild it's wild to me and i don't know um this, this wait wait i haven't seen this so like what's this is, like her actual height like in in feet six, was it ever said she, she's six one six one and a half okay. and she's 16 and i'm like most of the Victoria's Secret models are super fucking tall. What? Read those magazines. Like, I don't mean, like, I, I don't under, I, I genuinely. So I believe this got a sequel, right? <laughs> this did. It was just released. Um, I'm very tired. Okay, I will be very honest here at, at the podcast. Wow, I will be very honest. I'm very tired of mediocre films. Um... Not, is it not, like mediocre? Is it like no, below mediocre? I mean, no, it's it's bad. Like it's bad. But like I'm very tired of mediocre films. I'm very tired of bad films. I think this is within the realm of it's bad because I mean, if it's a I mean, you can make a film about a tall girl who's struggling in high school. Like that that kind of makes a lot of sense. Like imagine if she moved if she moved to a if, if she just moved into a town and then she's the first girl of that height and then she has trouble sitting down in the, these chairs so it just emphasizes like these larger structural issues right like, around around height and around yeah. like disproportionate bodies like that makes sense or like, but there's actually none of that. i was thinking like why don't you just go full like i don't know like world build the shit out of it like make everybody else in this community or like this world short and make this be the one girl who's like incredibly no, tall and make no, that a no. metaphor or, the real, or something the, it's the, they're they're trying to do the realism thing and i think now that i agree now, now the one character that me me and my friends liked was this character played by sabrina carpenter i'm so sorry to olivia rodrigo and Joshua bassett stands um but um, Sabrina Carpenter who plays like her semi-deranged um, sister who I don't know if she sniffs glue or she's actually like asthmatic but like she's semi semi like unhinged Jeez. and it's per- and it's perfect because at least like at least she owns that absurd element of it eh? like I feel like everyone tries to play it normal but like play up the absurdity like you know it's not absurd enough as a film and like there's this guy who carries an apple crate around who likes her i think he's hoping to kiss her with it like you know and like yeah i don't get it like why do you need to go realism yeah but I'm, oh come on give give me give me something give me something good I don't know. so yeah i just i just feel like the film isn't ambitious enough 
and I also feel like the film it, parang it's, it's at this weird point of there are absurd elements there are un, super unrealistic elements there are but it's trying to be realistic but at the same time they sing a duet from a musical together alam mo yan like this does not happen i mean this does not happen even i'm i'm from musical theater and this does not happen like spontaneously uh, it's quite frustrating it's a, it's a, it's genuinely a frustrating film because it has the premise is kind of stupid honestly but in that there's already an opportunity to not play it by the book gets because the premise is absurd i don't know if you've have you seen or no have you seen um the duff have you seen that no i haven't okay so the duff is is uh wow i'm i'm reviewing the duff i guess the duff is like a film that's an designated ugly fat friend so um it's about a girl who realizes that among in her friend group she's the designated ugly fat friend right um and that because of that she kind of breaks off relationships tries to be pretty or tries to be completely ugly gets and it doesn't work because she realizes that there will always you will always be in any circumstance a duff anyway like so 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 that that was that was interesting because like at least it's a understanding of like this this kind of high school mindset that's really toxic of comparing people to one another right but then at the same time it's also this acceptance of like society societal insecurity and how it's built into the structures of society and i here it's just she's tall and she's insecure and she's internalized that but her external environment isn't harsh alam mo yan like i don't know like like the, the her degree of insecurity hindi naman sa is disproportionate but it's kind of disproportionate to the the shit that she gets alam mo yan like yeah. they just make weather jokes <laughs> like alam mo yan like they just make weather jokes and it's like Yeah, I feel like it doesn't feel as important. Which is like the weirdly, this is the thing I liked about Turning Red. Like it feels like those minuscule things, or like they feel properly proportionate. But like I guess yeah. in this case, it doesn't because she's tall. But um, <laughs> no, wait, um, because no, because I don't know. There's a way because to give weight to. That being tall na insecurity, eh? they could have done it. Na she has trouble finding pants. She has trouble going to the department store. Alam mo yan? Like, she, like she has trouble getting sitting in her chair or getting into places or whatever. Pero no, they don't focus on those things. Alam mo yan? Like they don't show the environment around her enough to make us understand. What it is that continuously drives her insecurities, apart from her own brain. Ano mayan? Sure, meron sa family, pero like, of course, like, you have to. Maganda sana if it painted the community or something. This was made before the pandemic, so I can't excuse it for like using too few locations. And this was made by Netflix, so like, alam mo yon? Like, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's or, stop or, talking about this film. <laughs> no, and they better like <laughs> legit like they could have been they they literally they didn't even include this scene, but this would have been a an interesting scene like they could have been at the department store and mm. she could have been trying to buy clothes to boy section. Mm. Right? And then like a crush sees her and then she yeah, feels embarrassed, right? Because that reinforces this idea that she doesn't feel like a girl. It gets better. She doesn't feel like she doesn't feel like she can own this socially prescribed definition of femininity, which means a lot to her at this developmental stage. Also, these people, these actors, they look old. Her older sister <laughs> looks like the youngest person in the cast. <laughs> but also, yeah, but yeah, it's just terrible film, terrible visual language, terrible script, terrible acting the acting was so bad the acting was so bad that it made me at the moment compute in my head how much is this netflix film how many filipino films can be produced from this netflix film why are these netflix films trash they canceled the babysitters club for trash like this isn't good it's like that's what's so infuriating when i see like bad films like genuinely bad films that i think that a tall girl film can be made well i don't know if that's tall girl too but the way it's made right now is quite bad it's like Mm. like 10 minutes in i wanted to quit and this is this is an one hour 42 minute film that is wild to me. It's an hour and forty. Oh my god! Do you, do you realize that that is the same running time as what Turning Red? Even more? Yeah, probably more actually. That's yeah, bad. you know. Okay, it and it it feels like the film wasn't. It feels like the fit. It feels like this is the first draft of this film. <laughs> like I feel like we're the test audience, and they're still editing it. But honestly, do they need to like further revise it if you've already got like your target audience already gonna go there to watch it for Sabina Carpenter or like um these like you know conventionally attractive white people who are obviously oh, no, they're, they're also audience. no better like the director naman kasi is okay, so the director is Nizing Ha Stewart, I think. Mm-hmm. She is she a black female director? I think she is. Better double check on Which is I don't like dunking on. Yeah, she is. She's a black female director. Anyway, um, the director of this is a black female director, and kaya, kaya, I guess I don't want to keep. I don't want to dunk on films made by, you know, films made by women, and 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 you know, like some or. Like, you know, you know that you know what I mean, right? Yeah. But then at the same time, this was terrible. This was terrible. But I feel like you have to also give equal credit to if you yeah. make a really bad film. Yeah. It's like, but it, it, here's the frustrating it, thing. Here's the frustrating thing. She also directed Made, which really? is the, the 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 limited series. She directed episodes of Made, and Made was good. Hindi ba? I don't know because I feel like when Netflix makes these original films i feel like they already have a target audience in mind and they know the algorithms and they, like, yeah. there's a sequel for a reason right like yeah. it means they have 
coalesced I mean, those audiences and yeah, they people, watched it. They flocked to the stream. Netflix, Netflix creates hate material. They do. Because you can still make a career out of it. This was also produced by McG. Um, if you're not familiar with yeah. McG um, audiences, if you're not familiar with McG, um, he is a director, screenwriter, and producer. He um, is popular because of Charlie's Angels, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, Terminator Salvation, This Means War, babysit- The Babysitter, The Babysitter Kill Your Queen. Um, also, he was the executive producer of many television programs such as The OC, Supernatural, and Chuck. He's a great producer, in my opinion. But this film was genuinely terrible. <laughs> Like there is there's nothing like I kept trying to workshop it in my head and the only solution was really to not make it. Yeah. But I'm happy like I I, I read a letterbox review that was like I'm really glad that, like someone made a film about tall girls. I know that people think it's stupid or that this isn't really that well made, but I'm just really glad that someone kind of sees that like we get bullied too but I'm gonna, and I yeah. guess that's nice but at the same time if you're gonna represent something don't make it trash like I don't know, I'm, you know I'm it's, it's, it's kind of those films where you just say you know it's a film that exists and yeah, but it's nice no, that it exists no no <laughs> no that's why that's I will I agree. I, I I understand. There's obviously a lot of pressure around the first of anything, as a person who has who is and has been the first of things. I don't man. But at the same time, no. Like, maraming literate, maraming maraming resources on Netflix. You know, they're not just they're not just us. So like, I I just really wish that it was better. You know, I I want I want to keep challenging filmmakers even if they're not going to listen to this and even audiences huh? I want to keep challenging audiences to like uh, you know what frustrates me pa? like this film Tall Girl more people will have likely watched it than something like Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy or Lahaina you know like because which is the because, sad reality yeah I mean of distribution right but that's it Manola Darges also talked about this from um, editor Sha um, for the New York Times, um, which one of the chief film critics or something. Um, she said that it's way easier to watch a readily available mediocre film than it is to seek out a really great film, and and that's true, and and that kind of makes me sad, obviously. And I think I think that's our role, Ren, as I don't know, are we film critics? Like, as people in general, it's just to recommend great stuff to people. But at the same time, yun nga, parang, it kind of made me appreciate like all of the films that I was watching because um, they were actually like, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's all. That's all I have to say about Tall Girl. I don't want to give more airtime to that film. Don't watch it. Don't hate watch it. That's how they get... That's how those that's films how, yeah. get to that's, produce. That's Stop how they green light watching sequels. It. That's how they green light Stop those other watching films. It. That's why they're that's why that Anabayon? I don't even remember. Um the one with Addison Ray. Oh she's um, all that. She's, she's all that, yeah. Stop watching that. Stop watching these films. I don't mean like no. 
watch 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 someone else's films like a filipino filmmaker i don't know anyway yeah i think right, we have cheers. one what's more our, what's our last film okay we're gonna be talking about for our final film we're gonna, we're gonna be talking about a film that we both have actually seen which is the new screen uh i think this is the first scream since the director, 2011 yeah yeah Craven, since the, unfortunately Craven. passed away Yeah. Um. If you're interested, by the way, um, there's a there's a great podcast um uh, by on the big picture um that talks about the oral history of Scream and like how the film executives didn't really believe that it it could be pulled off and all of that and how they got to the iconic mask. So you can listen to that um after this or whatever. Um. Can I get a like? Go. Just can I get the temperature of like the room? What do you think of the Scream franchise? I like it. I think that it kind of the first one I love. Like if if you if you haven't seen the Scream, the Scream franchise or Scream like spoiler alert na lang. But um I was a huge fan of the first one. I think was the second one good? I like the Hayden Panettiere one actually. Um Okay, the second one is my favorite. I think okay, the yeah. second one is amazing. I haven't. I, haven't I seen was it. an unexpected delight, but but yeah. Wait, have I seen it? I think I've seen it, but it's I think the I've one seen that all starts with the 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 theater theater stabbing. Uh, that was good. That was, that was still the best opening of a scream movie, I think. Yeah, but that iconic first one though, with Drew Barrymore, right? Um, yes. Drew Barrymore, um, famously went. Was offered, I think, the role of Sydney Prescott, I think, but then she turned it down for this way smaller role um, of being the girl who gets killed first, um, and that was so iconic because obviously Drew Barrymore was such a huge personality. She had already been in ET and all of that, and um, to be killed first means that anyone in the cast could be killed. And um, then it wasn't because we usually think that when a person is really famous. Oh, they're not gonna kill that person because, like, you know, yeah. you need to strike yeah. a deal, right? Um, in Hollywood, there, like celebrities have to have a certain amount of screen time and all of that. But yeah, so sobrang ganda no na, na plot twist and everything. Um, wait, pero what do you think of what do you think of Scream, like the new one? Okay, so just for everyone, like the new Scream kind of centers around. Um, It's kind of a meta narrative um, uh, yes, that looks at yeah. Can you talk about it, Ryan? Yeah. Uh, okay, so basically, uh, we're back at Woodsboro. Um, there is yeah. this ghost face who is terrorizing high school children again. Well, no, high school teenagers again, and because of that, there is a reunion once again of um, all of the old um, like scream. Uh, original cast. So, Gail is back. Uh, Dewey is back, and of course, Sydney Prescott, which I think is like the best final girl in all of horror. And they all like you know converge again into a film that is meta in the sense that if you just heard the plot right now, it sounds very familiar to films you've seen before that aim to reignite. The flare that made 
the original special because that pretty much is the original plot. So like we're back in Woodsboro and we've got high school teenagers being terrorized by Ghostface and they have to face him uh, in like a climax. There are some killings and, and everything that goes on that involves, you know, usual uh, horror tropes. So I feel like because of that, like the meta narrative that exists, I don't know what you think about it, Jace, but like, I liked it. Like, I feel like this is a very natural progression of the franchise because I like, for the most part, the one, two, three, four Scream franchise. Like, I, I really like that franchise, even though there are some lowlights to be seen in that, which is Scream 3. But I felt like this is a very unique and natural progression of the Scream franchise. And I'm really excited to see what they have to offer in you know the next few films. Uh, I think Scream 6 was just announced. There's a release date now. I'm not sure when, but yeah. Um, how about you, Jace? I like the film. I thought though that the main character, like like the main like uh, Melissa Barrera. Yeah, Melissa Barrera. The one from In the Heights. Yeah, Melissa Barrera and um but Jenna Ortega, ba? Jenna Ortega. Um, I like Jenna Ortega. She was great. I like Jenna Ortega. I didn't like Melissa Barrera. I I thought that, I thought that she wasn't. I thought that there was something about her scream presence that didn't scream Final Girl. Mm. Oh man. Um, yeah. Because the other ones, when you watch them, parang you can kind of tell who will be the final girl, and parang she registers this. She registers this kind of like. A girl who would get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's maybe second or fourth, but I'm gonna. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought she was gonna die actually. Yeah, me too. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, oh I, my god, I, we're spoiling that she doesn't die. But anyways, <laughs> oh well, we never know. Um, I know. Um, I think it's very intelligent with how it kind of, obviously, there are the the meta narrative extends past. The, within the Scream franchise, but it also kind of comments on the recent attitudes around horror, right? About about this... Yeah, this, the Babadook, Hereditary. The, the division um, between yeah. classic horror, slasher horrors, B-movie horrors, and then this sort of recent, quote-unquote, maybe renaissance of mm. like elevated horror of like the witch and the Babadook yeah. and, um, you know, all of those things. And... I found that very funny, actually. Um, <laughs> I found that really, really funny. Um, and it, yeah, it, it's kind of a requel, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it's, it's a, a re- requel. Yeah, okay. it's a reboot and mm-hmm. a sequel. Then. So, yeah, so um, like, the first film was, like, obviously the original. The second film is a sequel, which also made fun of the idea of horror sequels. The third one makes fun of the finale of the trilogy and also, like, said that, like, well, it's not really a finale because they're likely going to create more films. And then the fourth yeah. one, uh, 2011, so that was 11 years. So I think the one of the longest uh, gaps between the films. So Scream 3 was 2000. Scream 4 was 2011. So that's 11 years. Now it's mm-hmm. also 11 years, right? So like, I actually like that. I like that there's time in between them because it gets to comment on what were the trends that occurred in the past decade. And yeah. like, anyways, I'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, Scream 4 was a was it a leg- legacy sequel, right? That's what they referred it to, right? Something or was like it, that, yeah. Or was this the legacy sequel? But anyways, it's a remake. It, it basically, it just 
um, sort of like makes fun of the idea of remakes and it culminates in a great joke <laughs> that like I can spoil it it's 10 years old right sure um, so basically again Sydney is there the final girl and like it culminates in a joke wherein the killer okay, fine, I won't reveal who the killer is but the killer basically wanted to be like the original like wanted to be like the original Sydney so she wanted to recreate the same stuff that she did because inside this world the movie Scream was called Stab and it also exists inside the movie Scream. So inside that world, um, because of the, that movie being as popular as it became, it made Sydney infamous. So there's a reason why the killer in Scream 4 wanted to be like Sydney. So it culminates in a joke where Sydney kills that killer and says, you forgot the number one rule of remakes, don't fuck with the original. I like, oh, that's such a great line. But anyways, yeah. Coming to okay. 2022, I feel like now you've mentioned that there's the Babadook and there's Hereditary and like the witch and like those are the inspirations now. But I yeah. feel like they realized, wait a minute, we can't make like a family drama slash like a biting, like psychological exploration into a, like a family or a character in the Scream franchise, right? Like I feel like yeah. they were confronted with the fact that, yeah, we're still a slasher franchise. So instead of like paying an homage, I guess, to like the past decade of horror, I feel like now they're commenting on the, and this is why I felt it was a natural progression for the franchise. They're now commenting on like the growing trends of just franchises and blockbusters in general. Yeah. So, like, so how do you generate or regenerate? An, a new IP, exactly. right? A new intellectual property mm. yeah, for those of you who do. Anyway, yeah. So this film doesn't really feel like it's referencing the Scream franchise or referencing the past decade of horror, even though it does textually, but it's doing it in a narrative that is more similar to the Star Wars franchise, to the Marvel franchise, like to the other... Like, it's not like, a very good recommendation, Raya, because a lot of people <laughs> don't like yeah, those yeah, franchises. Yeah, and and like more specifically, I think in terms of horror, the closest it has is the Halloween franchise. So mm-hmm. this is the the latest twenty eighteen Halloween film, which erased all of like the sequels of the Halloween franchise and made it so that okay, this is the premier sequel to the nineteen seventy eight film, and this is like the canon now. So. But like that film basically just retreaded the same ground and returned um, of the original cast, which is exactly what this film does. And there's also like <laughs> a very funny, minor spoiler, but a very funny reference to Ryan Johnson, who directed um, yeah, um, episode eight. And just to preface, I like episode eight. I'm not sure if you did, Jace. Yeah, I did. I think the episode nine was trash. Episode nine is a dumpster fire anyways yeah so, so there's a very funny ryan johnson joke and i really like because this is basically what they did right like the 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 girl at the start but okay i accidentally spoiled a part of the film so you're now hearing me in the future so there is because there's a ryan johnson meta narrative there's a part that subverts your expectation at the start of the film oh yeah i didn't spoil it and then there are also some like um <laughs> there are also some <laughs> deaths on, okay that's not a spoiler there are obviously deaths yeah. in horror film but there are yeah. deaths that feel similar to the way deaths were handled in 
legacy sequels or recalls. So like a remake and a sequel. So like, yeah, I feel like, you know, with these kinds of films, they can tend to feel derivative wherein, yeah, you're making fun of it, but also it's kind of bad. <laughs> but this one felt like uh, a bit more natural than those films that try to do it that feels a bit forced. So like, mm-hmm. I, but like, that's not to say that like other parts of this film, like the way they're commenting on like social media and like uh, conspiracy theory nests of like film fans and whatnot. Like, that's not to say that there are parts in this film that don't feel like a bit too forced, but like overall, I think it, it does a great job of what it wants to say when it comes to um, how franchises are being handled right now. I think it's fine. Like I, I, I genuinely think about it. Oh, okay, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't know. There, there were some reviews and I was like, okay, yeah, for sure. That makes that, that's no, that makes so much sense. Um, yun, I, I, I think though that like, I don't know. Part of me wanted it either pushed further, which is a wild claim, or wanted it to kind of scale back. I think that at some point. It was kind of irritating and grating, um, the the whole commentary on the meta narrative. I think it it's very hard now to make something original, right? I think that's why, which is something that the film itself yeah, kind of comments on. Yeah, the film also right? is very honest about that. Yeah, yeah, but then it's also, I think, more importantly, like, I think there's a recent rise, guess, in meta narratives, um. Obviously, you have Matrix Resurrection. You have this. You have the Carpenter, um, but then uh, the the Carpenter Halloween, <laughs> Halloween. I was talking about John Carpenter. Anyway, um, yeah, and and obviously like the big budget franchises. Um, but yeah, um, but even outside of that, I mean, there's a huge movement now with meta narratives being released, like as a focal point in like film and filmmaking um commenting on even the process of myth making i think i think that that's what i like about this screen is that it kind of goes back to this idea of what is a myth and how far do people believe it and how far can people change it that's really really interesting um but yeah i, I thought it was like fine as a horror movie and I, I think i paused a lot no, I didn't pause a lot, but I paused at certain moments because obviously it's a horror movie and I'm watching it at 3 a.m. <laughs> but but why do I do that to myself? But, you know, um, I do recommend that people watch it. I do recommend that people see like the film, the 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 other screen uh, films, because um, I mean, if you also know, like there's a Texas Chainsaw Massacre Nabago and yeah. and yeah, I haven't I'm seen actually, it. I, I'm actually planning on watching the originals. I haven't seen the original. Yeah, yeah, those are those are good. Um, I'm I'm a I'm a huge fan of the weirder ones, like the Children of the Corns and all of that. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. It's hard to scare people now. Um, that that lasts. I mean, um, and I think these these elevated horrors, um. <laughs> As much as I hate the word elevated, um, uh, I can, hate, sorry, go. Can I just say though, like, I do agree it's hard to scare someone, but there's some really good scares in this film. Oh, yeah. And some of them, it's because they're like, some of, there's some killings 
Do I spoil this? <laughs> there's we just some talked stuff, about this. There's some no. scary stuff that occur in broad daylight. And yeah. Oh yeah, are, that was the, good. That that was good. Was, you know what I'm talking about, right? That, yeah. that, was, that was good. Okay, anyways, yeah. Y- yeah. Maybe that's the midsummer. Like anyway. Um okay, I guess do you have anything else to say about screen? Um it's that I've been doing like a bit of thinking lately. Like it was so random. Like I was in a car on the way to like Moa and I was thinking about the Scream franchise. <laughs> a very okay. weird, very weird story. And I was thinking about, okay, what do I feel about Scream 4 and Scream 5? Because I think <laughs> both of them are great remakes slash sequels. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure which one's better. Because I have a friend who thinks Scream 5 is better. I also have another friend who thinks Scream 4 does the remake legacy choo-choo better. And uh, Scream 4 is the one with Hayden. Yeah. And Emma I Roberts. like that one. I like it's that one. Good. Yeah. yeah. Like I think I find that more interesting. Mm. You, yeah, I mean, me too. I, me, I feel like Scream 4 has the best reveal and motivation of a killer for me. Yeah, I, I also just think that tied to the success of the first one, maybe we'll dedicate like an episode to Scream. Um, mm-hmm. of like rewatching Scream and thinking about it. But I what I like about the first one, kasi, is that it is also like this huge slap in the face nga of celebrity culture, and it kind of subverts. It kind of uses celebrity talent as a in a very good way. Gets ba celebrity persona, celebrity perception. Like they're thinking that Drew Barrymore isn't gonna die. Alam mo yun? But Drew Barrymore did die. Alam mo yun? And like and and that whole thing is super important, I think, because it the subversion of celebrity persona and expectations and all of that is essential to kind of um, kind of beating your audience, um, beating your audience, beating your audience's expectations. And I guess yung gusto ko about Scream Four is that they kind of take aspects of that. Eh? They kind of have these still celebrities na playing these roles and they're able to subvert many of their the expectations around like what kind of characters they play and all of that. Um, dito kasi, like, wala nang... If I strip away the legacy characters from this Scream, I wouldn't like it as much. Yeah, kasi the thing yeah. with Scream 4 is I feel like there's this... There's also this ideological battle between the old versus the new. Which I feel like yeah. in Scream 5, it just feels like, okay, this is a more concrete passing on of the torch and it feels more like, okay, the older than you are now sort of like synthesizing yeah. and like merging and like there's this honoring of the past while also like looking on to greener pastures because of like the new cast of characters. But like Scream 4, I feel like, like, right, you said about like this will slap the celebrity culture. I feel like there is this tendency of the like you know Hollywood ness of like everything in in film to just go to the new and like you know present them as like the new shiny thing that like will bring in the dollars and whatnot. But like in Scream Four, you kind of get the sense that like that conflict also exists inside the film and it reaches 
a lot of very unique circumstances and unique like um like musings about the industry because of that and it's the reason why i felt it was like one of the best like motivation slash reveals of the killer for me because i was thinking a lot about like oh yeah like the killer itself also represents like this film trying like scream for itself and the killer feel like yeah they're trying to like you know trudge a new direction for the franchise for the new people but at the same time they want to keep like the sanctity of like old original cast members and like that era of the past of the 90s and like, yeah, I they, feel like they clash better in like Scream 4 as opposed to Scream 5 where like everybody's like giddy giddy and friendly and like yeah we we love you and like you're amazing and, and whatnot where I feel like in Scream 4 like they're saying yeah we love you but also at the same time we hate you because we want to be the new like stuff in we want to be the new thing we want to be the new talk of the town and, and whatnot so yeah yeah but also like there were there were just celebrities. Like there were in, in Scream kasi, the Scream franchise as a whole, there were still movie stars. Mm. Gets ba? Parang ngayon wala na movie star. Yeah. May movie star pa ba? The landscape has significantly changed. You know, it's been 10 years, 11 years. So yeah, I, I, I think that core part you know, of the Scream franchise is also how, you know, like, the movie star ness of it. Anyway, um, just actually, now that you've we should just talk about, about this in a different. Now that you've actually like, you know, brought up that you know movie star, um, commentary. I feel like yeah, I'm leaning more towards Scream Four now because I feel like that commentary is a lot better in that film. But it's not to say that Scream Five is like bad. I I still think it's very enjoyable and. You know what? It feels like it's the same thing I'm saying to Star Wars Episode Seven when I first saw it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, you can't. But yeah. but yeah. Um, basically, that's it. Okay. Um, I guess. Oh, I want to end us with another thing. outline, but I want to end us with another thing, which is um, what are you looking forward to? Um, uh, because we obviously we said recommendations, right? Stuff we watched that we liked and we didn't like. Um, what are you looking forward to in the next month that you are probably going to watch or are already watching but haven't really formed your opinion about yet or a festival oh that you want to go to? Gonna, uh, Jace. What? <laughs> I'm going to go to the US next month, right? Yeah. I'm going to get to see X and everything everywhere all at once and i'm so excited i hate you <laughs> i genuinely hate you i'm going to i'm going to message the 824 pr people to add me and anyway okay <laughs> that's so cool that's very cool yeah oh. i'm really excited oh. for x i've heard nothing but great reviews actually i heard those too but i also don't don't trust people so i only trust myself because they a lot of people a lot of people said that Encanto was beautiful and everything, and I'm like, I did not like which it. Which it was, um, which it was. I didn't, I didn't like, like it. it as much, but I think it's good. Oh no, it it's visually beautiful, but I people are overreading. People are overreading it everywhere, and I do not understand. If I, I it wins, for for if the it, record, by the way, turning uh, red 
is better than Encanto. If people win, if if Encanto wins over Flea and over the Mitchells versus the Machines, I think it will. I'm <laughs> I'm going to riot. I am going to. No, I, I feel like the riot if Encanto doesn't win is going to be a lot bigger. No one. Uh, no. I do not care about those people. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry, and sorry, Encanto stands like I'm pretty. You know, you can sing that one song all you want. You know, congrats. But I, yeah, I did not like the film. I thought. Okay. Anyway, but congratulations on that. Like, I mean, let me know what you think. But also, ma- until ma parad ko siya, baka hindi ko hindi magregister. What you think? <laughs> Honestly, okay. yeah. So. So X, by the way, I'm excited because like Jenna Ortega is also there. Yeah. And from you know Scream as well. Very and, good like, actress, I know. Very good yeah, actress. She yeah. is. And it's another horror slasher. And it it's more similar to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. And yeah, I'm excited. Because it's also like about people making adult films in like the 70s or 80s. I'm not sure what the timeline is, but yeah. But yeah. Um, and then the other one is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, I've read reviews saying that it's too maximalist and too too many things happening all at once, but I love those films. You know, I was supposed to be press for South by Southwest. Mm. Yeah, you um, would have seen this. Yeah, I would have, but um, I have a degree to finish. <laughs> um, for those of you who do not know, I am a molecular biologist, so... I have to do that, and I can't. I can't cover a film festival right now. Um, but yeah, that's cool. Um, I I would have thought you would have talked about Nope, which is the new is nope, Jordan Peele one. Is Nope coming up next month? You'll still be there by by. Was it is it next month? I don't think I don't know. Actually. Wait, let me let me search. We've got a trailer. Oh, July! It's in July. Oh, July. Yeah, I'll still be, be there. there. I'll still be there. Yeah. So yeah. Um, we'll we'll probably talk about that. I will be, um. You know, jealous from the Philippines, <laughs> and Ryan will be abroad. Anyway, um, how about well, you, Jace? What are you looking forward to? Well, I'm covering I'm covering Cinema Region, so that's until the thirty first. I don't know when this episode will come out, but um, I'm very excited to finish a lot of the films. I've seen a lot of the films already. Um, but there are 151 short films. Um, it's a really great initiative. Ayun. So. Uh, please check it out. It's via the NCCA but a website. Um, what other films? I'm really excited to start finishing Attack on Titan. Um, the final season uh, of the anime is currently on its way. So yun, um, that's it's really cool. Mm, and I I really want to watch. I I hope I get to watch more Bios. I hope I get to watch Morbius. And I hope I get... Not that I'm a huge Jared Leto fan, but I hope I get to watch Morbius. I hope I get to watch um, this other film. Is Doctor Strange out now by next week? It's out in 50 days. No, no it's out in... <laughs> it's out for you earlier than me in the US. It's out okay. in May 2 for Philippines. May oh, yeah. 4 so for I, me. And my first draft of my manuscript is on the 24th. So if that's approved... I can watch na. Nice. Like I can go out of you. Ah, yeah, go. I'm so excited. You're oh viewing multiverse, right? Yeah, but um, yeah, but I also can't. 
I'm watching a lot of stuff that I can't talk about. Uh, I will talk about it once the things are done, but that will probably be later on in the year. Um, I would love to talk about that. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next episode should be Oscars. Yeah. This is why I have to reorganize my priorities and go back to Oscars mode this week. Um, okay. The Oscars is on the 28th, which is a Monday next week. Yeah. And we need to... I, I've started watching on the animated shorts. Um, I didn't like the first one. <laughs> what, what, what was... I even forgot anyway, his name. Wow. Let, let, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about day. it next yeah, yeah. Anyways. Okay. Yeah. Um, let's do the outro. Um, that's you, Lam. That's me. So yeah. thank you for listening. Hope you guys enjoyed our thoughts on Turning Red. Bad luck. Banging Looney Porn. <laughs> Great title. <laughs> uh, the Batman. Uh, Tall Girl. And Scream. So don't forget to drink your water. And see you soon. Cinesims. Bye.